We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is a Room production. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter. New York Giants football podcast on Locker Room, as you know, or for those of you who don't know and are joining us for the first time, weekly every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, we will be hosting these live Locker Room Q&As with the listeners. It operates as kind of like a talk show, almost like a WFAN type show. You guys join, obviously. You hit speaker request, and then we get you in line, and we get your questions in from the podcast before we do that, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Big Blue Banter listener, Anthony, whose father actually, he saw a post I made about how I think Prego is a joke of a sauce, and I would lose a little bit of respect for anybody who uses Prego sauce. Normally, I am a homemade sauce kind of guy, homemade red sauce. I like making it from scratch, but one of our listeners, Anthony, actually said his dad has a homemade recipe that he has now taken to the stores and bottled it up and jarred it up. And he sent me some. And tonight I made myself a nice little bolognese sauce using this sauce. So for those of you who don't know, it's Antonio Carlo. That's the name of the sauce, Antonio Carlo. I'm a big fan. It tasted awesome. I had the original recipe tonight. But I will say I'm excited to try another flavor next time. And this was a nice little meal for me. Nick, would you ever treat yourself to a little bolognese or is there too much sugar in red sauce for you? You know what? I would treat myself to that. You know, it touches on the roots. And also, man, somebody sent the sauce to us. I find that to be just incredibly endearing and, and awesome, to be honest. So I would definitely try a little bit. Maybe one day we'll get together and, and uh, cook up some pasta or something. And for your sake, Nick, I checked the back of the jar and it says no added sugar and only four grams of sugar per serving. I feel like that fits in your range. I know earlier you've talked about that seven gram threshold for yourself you look at the back <laughs> of things and as long as it's under seven grams you'll treat yourself to it so 
I think going forward, you might be able to have yourself a little bit of Antonio Carlos sauce yourself. Yeah, no, maybe put some chicken in it. I'm not a big pasta guy, and I know I'm going to get railed for that. Oh, but I put some chicken in it, and it'll pasta. be a... You can't eat pasta. Well, I'll, I'll actually pull a little bit of a Nick Blotto tonight, believe it or not, before we get going on this Q&A. We'll, we'll end it right here with this one. But I did pull a little bit of a Nick Blotto tonight. I made, with this bolognese I made, with the Antonio Carlos sauce, I used black bean pasta, organic black bean pasta. So it's not your typical pasta. It's not great, I'll be honest. Didn't love it. It's not the first time I've had it. I usually do it just for health purposes because I'm like, eh, I had a good workout today. I'm not going to ruin it with pasta. So I'll have this black bean pasta that has some protein in it. But not a big fan, Nick. I, there are no real alternatives to pasta. You kind of just got to go the carb route and enjoy it. So that might be the last time I do that. <laughs> that sounds good, buddy. All right, let's see what we got today. Looks like we got a bunch of people in the room right now. Lucas, Victor, Mike, Todd, AJ, and Arthur. AJ might be the only one I don't recognize as a regular, so it's cool to have some regulars back. And I know I've seen you before, AJ, but nobody has requested to speak just yet. So, guys, if you want to join the show, go ahead, just hit request to speak, and you can get right in. But until then, let's talk a little bit about some of the new recent transactions by the New York Giants, Nick. So, since the last time we recorded, they have signed former first-round pick Calvin Benjamin. He was initially talked about maybe being listed as a tight end, but he is listed as a receiver, and he I doubt he's playing tight end for them, but you can get into that if you want to. Running back Corey Clement, the former Badger and former Eagle, and then today, an interesting one, Ryquel Armstead, the former draft pick from 2019 of the Jacksonville Jaguars, nice violent runner with a lot, little bit of juice. What do you make of those recent signings, Nick? Well, the Calvin Benjamin one, I think, is uh, it doesn't really, you know, tickle my fancy all that much. They want to try him out at tight end, and I think that's a really hard transition for a wide receiver to try and kind of turn himself into a tight end because especially in Jason Garrett's offense, he puts such a high priority on blocking, and I don't know if Calvin Benjamin's going to be able to learn that kind of aspect of the game. And from a wide receiver standpoint, the Giants have a ton of receivers. But you know what? Bring him in. See if he's coachable. I don't think he's going to make the 53. But, you know, Dave Gettleman drafted him. I'm sure they have some sort of relationship. Kind of allows him to get some tape for other teams. If he does end up playing well through the summer, maybe he can get another shot in the NFL. I'm just not certain it's going to be with the New York Giants. But I think the running backs, man, I think that's interesting. Corey Clement's 26. I think Armstead's about 25. Both New Jersey guys. Clement ended up going to the Badgers. Armstead, I want to say, was a Temple guy. And we know what happened with Armstead. He had COVID last year, so he ended up basically – the COVID really affected him, so he basically missed the entire season. James Robinson stepped up and was the baller down there for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, I mean – I don't hate this, and I honestly believe one of those two could end up making, may at least have a chance to make the 53-man roster. Clement, if he's, you know, he's had a productive career as kind of a situational back, and he also has an extensive special teams history with the Philadelphia Eagles, caught a touchdown in that Super Bowl back in 2017. So I'm intrigued, and I think one of those two could possibly make the roster. It's not impossible. Yeah, I'm actually intrigued by both signings as well. On one hand, I think what you said is true. One of them could make the roster, but it's going to be a little more crowded than it seems right now because Saquon Barkley's a lock for the roster. Devontae Booker's a lock for the roster. And I don't want to say Brightwell's a lock for the roster, but if he is what he's expected to be on special teams, and usually you don't have to project too much when it comes to special teams. And if he is that, then he's most likely close to a lock for the roster. So with that said, that's three right there. I don't know if they'll go with four. Regarding Clement, it's really interesting. He really reinvented himself as an NFL pro. During his years at Wisconsin, he was a decent recruit. And he was an excellent runner, but he really wasn't utilized at all in the passing game. Then when he got to the Eagles, he became a passing down back, which is pretty interesting. He is somebody who I like a lot. I would say I like him 
a little bit more than Armstead, but I think Armstead probably has more upside. And both of them are kind of runners who I feel are going to be there because Saquon Barkley is kind of uncertain right now when it comes to returning from, again, ACL and MCL. It was such a bad injury that he had to wait a week to get the surgery because the swelling needed to come down. So I don't think we'll see much of Saquon Barkley this summer. And because of that, they're going to need competition at the running back position in camp. They're going to need guys just to run drills. So I think that's part of the reason these guys were signed and added to the roster. But again, I do see a little bit of upside with both of them. So, And then finally, Kelvin Benjamin. I'm not making much of that at all. I see a very, very small chance he makes the roster. I don't think it's really that important to even dive into personally. He's 30 years old, I believe now. Been out of the league for multiple years. Um, never was that good of a football player, in my opinion, at all. So for me, I'm not going to touch too much on that one. I can't really see him cracking the roster, especially with no special teams value. All right, let's get to our first speaker. It's Victor joining the room now. What's going on, Victor? How are you doing tonight, my friend? Hey, Vic. You there with us, Vic? Oh, Vic is usually on the ball, and you very rarely see Vic called on and not able to respond. So, Vic, we'll we'll pass from you for right now, and we'll come back to you, Vic, if you uh if you if you if you jump back in. But for now, let's go to AJ. AJ. What's going on, my man? Hey, what's happening, fellas? Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, big fan of the work you guys do. Really appreciate it. So uh, I'm happy to connect with you. Awesome. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, I was hoping you guys could touch on, well, I know you touched on it a little bit before, really just maybe elaborate on, is uh, I'm really excited about the depth on this team at two positions, uh, defensive back and wide receiver for the first time in a long time. So, um, really more so the secondary, just because I have a lot more faith in PG than I do in Garrett. But where do you guys see these guys primarily lining up? I know he's going to switch it up a lot and move guys around a lot. But as far as, like, primary spots on the field, how do you kind of see that shaking out um, for the most part in this coming season? Yeah, primary for me with uh, Patrick Graham, I think it's going to be James Bradbury outside of Dory Jackson. Inside, we may have, we may not have to see James Bradbury shadow or anything like that. And then on the inside, I think it's going to be that camp battle like we've been talking about between Aaron Robinson and Darnay Holmes. I'm honestly, I think that could be a toss up and let the cream rise to the uh, top there. And then uh, as far as those safeties, man, I think you're going to see Jabril Peppers in the box uh, on certain kind of dollar packages next to Blake Martinez. I think Aaron Robinson can execute that role as well if they want to use Jabril Peppers in another sort of role or bring him on the blitz, which is something that we saw Patrick Graham do quite often last year with the slot slash safety uh, mm-hmm. position. You saw Aaron, or you saw Darnay Holmes. You saw Jabril Peppers kind of come downhill and act as a creeper and then right before the snap sneak in and then blitz and try to manipulate the protection of the offense. And then as for deep uh, single high safety, I think that's going to be more of Xavier McKinney, but I think Julian Love could mix in there, a snap snap here or there. I think Jabril Peppers could execute that. Logan Ryan's going to be more of that robber role. But uh, I, honestly, man, I just think it's all about deceiving the uh, the opposing quarterback. I don't think that Patrick Graham's going to want to establish a set trend that the quarterbacks can kind of view and see, okay, well, this guy always ends up here post-snap. So I think you're going to see a lot of creativity. You're going to see a lot of moving parts and a lot of versatility to kind of diversify the coverages and always keep the offense guessing. I think that's the main thing, and that's one of the great things about the personnel that they have is a lot of them are interchangeable. Yeah, I think Nick nailed it, AJ. First of all, I want to say awesome picture. Looks like it's it's your son in a Barkley jersey, so that's yeah, pretty Yeah, that's cool. my boy. He's a big fan. 
love it. Already awesome. a huge fan, already breeding him the right way, and already bringing him up the right way. And, I, and I'll echo what Nick said. I mean, if you asked Patrick Graham right now, what would you rather work with? What would give you the best chance to put the best defense out there? A lot of versatility and depth at defensive back, a lot of versatility and depth at off-ball linebacker. I think he would tell you defensive back. I really do. I think it helped. For his specific system, I think it's way more important. And I think we're even going to see some early base downs where you don't even have Robinson or Holmes on the field because you can put Peppers or you can put McKinney up in that slot position when teams are using, you know, 12 personnel or even 13 personnel and they only have two receivers on the field. And then you can have an advantage from that standpoint, too, because both, McKinney may not be big, but he's tough, man. You watch his Bama tape, and he is up in the box a lot of the time, making big plays, moving downhill. And obviously, Peppers has demonstrated that ability in, you know, in spades throughout his Giants career. So I think just to answer your question, man, I think it's going to be really interesting, and it's going to depend on the down and distance, and it's going to be fun to watch and track his fans the whole year. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I mean, McKinney last year, even just in a couple of snaps in the slot, seemed to cover really well. And then, um, you know, even before we had Robinson, I was looking at the depth on this this secondary, and I was just so – I mean, because, you know, like you said, the the deceptiveness and the way that um, our guys are so versatile is really the strength of this defense, um, the way that Graham used them last year. And, I mean, definitely helped out the pass rush a lot too. I mean, we were, what, top 10 in – in sacks with no pass rushers. I mean, I think a lot of the credit goes to, uh, you know, the disguise and also the secondary uh, being able to cover. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, AJ. I mean, that was a huge part. I I think they had 40 sacks last year, if I'm not mistaken. And I was with no true edge rusher, like you said. A lot of scheme pressure, a lot of blitzing, five-man pressure packages disguised well. And also the stunt and twist game, which Leonard Williams does so well. You bring in Aziz Ojolari and Ellerson Smith, insert them into that role. And I think that can be just another element that can even raise that 2020 defense to a, a better defense in the coming year. Yeah. You guys want to touch on the receivers a little bit? Kind of same question. That's probably a little more static on how you see them uh, generally being used. Um, I mean, snap count's obviously going to vary and who's going to win at camp, but really the strengths uh, of each guy. And then I guess I can let somebody else take over. Yeah, and the snap counts will more than likely vary, but you get that prototypical X type of receiver in Kenny Galladay, which is something that – Jason Garrett's offense has traditionally had throughout his time as an offense coordinator and a head coach. And then from there, I mean, I believe you have Sterling Shepard, Derry and Darius Slayton, who are going to be interchangeable. They can be move guys, Z guys. You can line them up in the slot, Sterling Shepard a little bit more so than Darius Slayton. And then Kadarius Tony is, I'm not going to say gadget player because that has negative connotations, but you can do multiple mm-hmm. different things with him. You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up in the backfield next to Saquon Barkley. You can get him into space, bubble screens. And look, Jason Garrett's offense last year, it was vanilla. It was a little bit unimaginative. But Jason Garrett knows a lot of football, and you hope that he's going to be able – and I want to say that Jason Garrett's father was a longtime wide receiver coach as well. <laughs> now that he has all of these weapons and there's not you know, the, the Ratleys of the world and the C.J. Boards getting significant snaps, you hope – that they're going to be able to find a way to use all this personnel because the personnel is there now. Now it's just on the quarterback, the play caller, and the offensive line to protect in order to kind of maximize his personnel. But I think, I mean, for the first time, and like you said, a long time, AJ, this this receiver group is, is, is very interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. and I would add this, AJ, I would say this. My only hope with this group, and I have some specific, you know, takes on that, which we've gone over, but, and Nick touched on most of them, but my only hope with this group is that 
Garrett understands that he has the depth and he has the skill sets at the receiver position, even if you mention a guy like John Ross, for example, which I'll get to in a minute, to utilize 11 personnel on a vast majority of the snaps. Last year, he used 12 personnel a lot, used 13 personnel a lot. I wouldn't do that as much. I really wouldn't. I understand. I would hope that he did it last year because of the personnel he had at receiver, but it's really hard in my mind to feel the top 10 NFL offense in 13 and 12 a lot. I think you need to be, especially if you have the talent at wide receiver, even if you have a guy like John Ross on the field versus a guy like, you know, I don't know, Caden Smith or at times even Kyle Rudolph. And I'm not even going to say Ross exactly because, I mean, that would only really be in the case of injuries. But those guys just, you can get so much more, not only creative with your play calling, but you can open up levels of the field via Ross's speed and via his suddenness. You're just not going to be able to open up when you have multiple tight ends on the field. And really what you want, the best way to run an offense is to, is is by maximizing the spacing and by maximizing potential for yards after the catch or for, you know, big plays over the top due to spacing and the route concept. So I'm just hoping that what you'll see from this group this year is a lot more 11 personnel because they can, and they'll mix and match with those guys. I honestly think that if Ross makes the roster, he'll even find some snaps as well. They Like Nick said, they didn't, you know, they found a way to get Board on the field last year. They found a way to get Mac on the field. Mac was almost kind of like that vertical guy for them, almost in a sense, and maybe Ross can be that guy this year. So definitely something to follow, but I'm with you. I think that their depth at receiver is better than it's been in a long time. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I, you know, and mostly for the, like you said, getting guys in space and uh, and giving them a chance to use their speed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed to get open and just giving them a chance to make a play once they got the ball. I mean, we got so used to seeing, you know, the only big plays was, okay, Jones is chucking a contested catch up to Golden Tate for 30 yards and then he's tackled on the spot or, you know, vice versa on the other side with, with Slayton or it's, you know, it's like I want to see some some guys get open and get an opportunity to make people miss, you know, Saquon Barkley being one of them. But, um, you know, I see a lot more opportunity for that this year and, and I just want to take a, a second really to, um, on that note, thank you guys. I mean, I love this game. I love football. I love my Giants. And, uh, but I know there's... Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. 
Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. So much about this game that I don't know. And I feel like you guys do a really good job of being that bridge for, you know, people like myself to kind of get a little more insight into the X and O's and what's really going on. And so, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. So I just wanted to shout you out. We really appreciate you, AJ. Thank you. Thanks a lot, AJ. Really do appreciate that. Alrighty, Lucas is on, but before you jump in, Lucas, Victor, are you with us? I'm actually, I'm going to pull you off now, Victor. I'll let you jump back in if you're back on. Uh, just hit request to speak because I know you might be having issues with your with your phone at the moment uh, jumping in. So, Lucas, you can jump in for now. What's going on, my man? Not much. How about you guys? What's up, Luke? All right, so with, uh, with all this... Uh, the signings of the two running backs of late, as well as drafting the running back, what is the value that Devin Booker brings over all the rest of the guys, or just in general, that uh, we went out and signed him day one to a multi-million dollar contract? What is his value over the rest of these guys coming in? Yeah, I think Devontae Booker's value is the fact that he has that contract, which is probably going to secure him into this roster right now. I think they like the fact, and I think Dave Gettleman has touched on this, that he is somebody who can be a three-down back if asked to do it. They value his pass protection and think that he can be an adequate enough pass protector. He has receiving chops on him, and he's somebody who I think they think he can carry a load, which is something he didn't really do ever in his career because he was always a situational back. But they viewed him as like a five foot ten, two hundred twenty pound back as somebody who could possibly carry that load. Whereas Corey Clement has had an injury. Uh, I want to say that was back in 2019. He kind of got back to football in 2020, and then he was a free agent. And Reichwell Armstead has this entire COVID situation that derailed his 2020 season. So I think he they probably view Booker as a bit more of a reliable asset, and they invested that money in him, which is obviously important as well. Yeah, I mean, I would just echo what Nick said. It's exactly that. They view him as a short thing. They view him as somebody who can play, you know, all three downs if necessary, and you won't be tipping off your plays because, you know, you might have Clement on the field and you might be tipping off that it's a passing down or that you're leaning toward the pass. And similar thing for Armstead, though I do think Armstead showed off underrated receiving ability during his time with Jacksonville, so that's something to keep an eye on. But, yeah, I mean, you're not going to sit here. You're not going to find me sitting here and defending that decision. I, I didn't like the move, and I don't think it was necessary. But in the end, they were able to fit all this under the cap anyway, and they'll probably be able to get out of that contract next year if they need to when they're in a position where maybe they need some more cap. So at least at the very least, he had a massive workload in his history at Utah. Obviously, like Nick said, he hasn't had that opportunity in the NFL. Don't know if he'd even be good in that opportunity. But, again, they view him kind of as that sure thing, I would say. Gotcha. Well, uh, thank you. And I've been loving the uh, – the, uh video breakdowns on YouTube, so keep it up. Oh, thanks, man. It's been a lot of fun. We'll keep them coming for sure. All righty. Talk to you guys later. See you, Lucas. Be well, bro. Thank you, Lucas. All right, our buddy Mike is jumping in. What is going on, Mike? Hey, how you guys doing? Good, man. Mike, Marcel, what's up, bud? Yeah. Um, so, 
um, couple questions, make them super quick. Um, as far as Nick, um, as far as your video breakdown for uh, Carter and that play side, like where he like literally got lower, and I guess he he clogged up the D gap. Like, how do you see all of these edge rushers? Like, are they all going to rotate? Are there more? Do some of them have more strengths and weaknesses? Like. Can can AO I, I call him Z's Oja I can't pronounce his last name so I'm gonna just call him AO. Um, can he um, can he do the same thing or if not better will he be starting opposite? Like how's that gonna break down between him, Carter, uh, X Man, um, you know uh, uh, you know all the edges? Like is it gonna be basically like you know like a 25 percent playtime split like? So I think that uh, Aziz Ojolari, he can do that. He showed me that at Georgia. I, I did a breakdown, if you go back a little bit on my timeline, of, of how he takes on blocks, or you can check it out on YouTube. And he is so aggressive and physical taking on those blocks, similar to what you saw with Lorenzo Carter in week one against Pittsburgh. And I think both of them on early downs may be the guys that you want out there because an O'Shane Zimenez and an, uh, and an Ellison Smith, they're not as capable Right now, at least O'Shane, we didn't really get to see him last year, which is unfortunate. His rookie year, he struggled with that. That was a different defense, and they trusted him early on in the season before he went out with the injury to play here and there. It's not something that I think he's going to excel at, or at least he hasn't shown me that. Ellison Smith, I mean, we have 2019 tape to rely on, and honestly, he gets pushed around a lot, but at the same time, Northern Iowa was using him in like a four-point stance as a four-eye technique. That's not what his game is in the NFL. He's going to be more of an outside linebacker, more of an outside guy, unless it's on like third down when you can line him up there and he can just use his lateral quickness and his quick hands to kind of shoot gaps but he's not somebody who's going to hold up at the point of attack that's not his game so when you when you want to talk about early downs I would say Lorenzo Carter and Aziz Ojolari are the two that you're kind of looking at with Odenabo being somebody who could also be mixed into it as well as Ryan Anderson somebody we don't really mention but he's not really a pass rush guy he's definitely a run defense guy he could also earn snaps if he takes the coaching proves himself coming over from the Washington football team and then on passing downs we may see some exciting stuff just like we saw last year I mean last year the Giants had David Mayo Jabal Sheard and all these guys lining up on passing downs now you actually have some real guys who can hold up the point of attack and can also rush the passer and then you could also use those O'Shane's and those Ellerson Smith's and those types of guys to kind of line up inside and then you are uh, run the twist and stunt game with Leonard Williams to really take advantage of the protections of offenses. So I think the Giants are in a much better spot right now than they were last year because they have some interesting guys who can play the run and they have better, I guess you could say, more talent now when it comes to rushing the passer. Okay. So um, just to piggyback, I know I just talked defense, but trying to talk offensive schematics, I know you guys keep saying 11 personnel. Um, last year, I mean, I kind of felt like the Giants only went four and five wide when they were, like, down. Um, but, I mean, with the plethora of weapons that they have, you know, you guys spoke about it already. Like, can you see more five wide, more four wide receiver sets? I mean, I hate to say this, but to kind of, like, take Evan Ingram off the field um, in regards to, like, not having him be, like, our number one playmaker where we have four wides, maybe Saquon Barkley or one of the other backs, and, um, you know, really take advantage of, like, you know, Kadarius Tony on, you know, another team's fourth best wide receiver. I'm, I'm thinking about Denver in mind because they usually have – they have Chubb and uh, Von Miller, and then they got the two corners now. So, like, 
you're realistically like your time to throw, like you've got to hit the inside guys probably a lot quicker. So I'm just thinking in that regard, like, do you know the percentages of snaps with four and five wide with Jason Garrett? I don't, yeah, I don't the, know those exact percentages, Mike, but I would say this. I think that we should and hopefully will see more shotgun empty sets with four receivers out there or with four receivers and a back out there motioned out, whether that be Saquon Barkley or Booker. Because one thing you'll know, and, and I've heard this from Greg Cassell, NFL Films Greg Cassell, I've heard this from a lot of people I've spoken with. Kurt Warner also echoed something to me when I had a chance to talk with him. What you'll notice is, especially for young quarterbacks, when you go shotgun empty and you have that situation out there on the field and you kind of force the defense before the snap to almost show their hand in a way, especially if you use motion with it, and it makes it a lot easier for a young quarterback to figure out where to go with the football. And we saw a little bit of that in 2019 during Jones's rookie season with Pat Shermer. We saw a little bit of it with Garrett as well, but we saw more of it with Shermer. So I'm with you. I think it's a good way. I don't think they should use it all the time. I think it can get, it's, it's a dangerous setup, I think, and Nick can probably talk a little bit more on that. But I think it makes it easier for the quarterback before the snap. And so I'm with you. Now that they have the weapons to do it, I hope they do it more often. The the one thing that uh, also would have to be addressed is when you do that and you spread everybody out, you're only relying on a five-man protection, and the defense knows you only have a five-man protection. So that's why I think keeping a running back next to Daniel Jones or a tight end into block or an H-back or anything like that is also something that the Giants may be looking to have with the youth that they have on the offensive line. Mm. Okay. I appreciate it, guys, as always. Yeah, Mike, man, we we appreciate you, bro. All right, Arthur is up next. What's going on? Hey, not much. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're doing well, Arthur. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. I want to thank you guys for your show. It's um, like everybody else says, it's really enjoyable, and I learn a lot. So I thank you guys for all your hard work. Of course, man. We're glad to do it. Appreciate that, Arthur. Really do. Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> I have a question, actually. I hate to ask it. It's kind of a bummer question, but it's something I'm really curious about. Let's say Daniel Jones doesn't develop. He just doesn't cut the mustard, you know, throughout this next season. Now, of course, I hope he does, but what if he doesn't? We have two first-round draft picks next year. And I don't really know. I mean, I, and I'm sure you guys haven't. There's a whole, there's a whole another college year to go. But is there like a big time college quarterback that is even there for us to go after if Daniel Jones doesn't like make it, or would we go after another quarterback in the NFL that's kind of young and up and coming, and we think he might be a good fit for our system, kind of thing? I just, I'm just curious, if, if Daniel Jones doesn't make it, what do we do with these draft picks, or where, where do we go from there? So Dan, actually, I think he really likes one of the uh, NFL or one of the college quarterbacks coming out. Dan, you want to talk about him? No, I don't actually have a quarterback yet that I really like. I don't know. Who are you referring to? Oh, I'm referring to the Liberty Kid. Oh, no, I obviously like what I've seen from Malik Willis, the Liberty Kid, but I don't, I'm not ready to say I'm fully you know, on yeah. board with him. He's not. I you know I had to watch like ten games of Zach Wilson before I got in on that talent and I think Malik Wilson is I'm sorry Malik Willis is a really interesting talent I mean he literally runs like Michael Vick out there you can put on some highlights of Malik Willis just anyone who's 
listening to the show now, check out Malik Willis. Just go to, or the best thing I would say is check out um, JT O'Sullivan. He's he does the quarterback school on YouTube. Check that out. He does breakdowns. He did Willis, and it literally looks like a wide receiver or a running back when he takes off with the football, and that goes with a rocket arm that he has. So tools wise, I think he is maybe one of the best prospects I've seen in a long time. But at the same time, there's a lot of inconsistencies in this game from a passing standpoint not just from, you know, what he can do processing-wise, but also accuracy-wise. So I still have to see a lot more before I get in on that. But, I mean, just to answer the question that you had here, Arthur, I mean, I'll just say it. Yes, the answer is yes. If Daniel Jones has a really, you know, doesn't take a big step forward with everything they've put around him, and I understand the offensive line isn't great, but it's not an excuse anymore, in my opinion, to, you know, to have, you know, to, to throw, to, you know, to, 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 put, up, to put up the passing I guess, I don't want to say stats, but production that he's put up over the first two seasons. There, there's no excuse for that. It needs to take a big leap, obviously. And if not, like, I'll probably be willing to use those picks to leverage them in a trade-up to get that next quarterback. I mean, it's tough to say. Nick, where do you stand on this? Oh, I mean, I absolutely agree. If there's a, say the Giants stink, first off, I don't think the fit in the system thing is going to be as big of a deal because I don't think Jason Garrett will be here if Daniel Jones falls on right. his face and it's not injury-related. But if, say, the kid from Oklahoma, Rattler, who's another one that a lot of people are talking about, if any of those people rise and become like a Trevor Lawrence, or is that, Trevor Lawrence is a bit aggressive, but a Zach Wilson type of talent, then I'd 100% support trading up and getting their guy if Joe Judge views that person as their guy. Yeah, quarterback's one of the few positions, Arthur, where I am in support of trading up for. And I know it goes against everything I've preached about how important draft picks are and how important draft capital is and how, you know, just all the numbers show that it's almost always a bad decision to trade up and almost always a good decision to trade back. But when it comes to the quarterback position, it's just too important of a position that I'm willing to throw those numbers out and throw out the math a little bit because the only way you really have a chance in my mind to win a Super Bowl is by having a really good quarterback. Right, right. Um, and then the other question, it's completely unrelated, but the other question I had, I was kind of interested um, seeing uh, Kevin Abram um, when he was uh, talking about the, the draft and, and so on and so forth. And is it kind of an automatic that he's going to be the replacement at GM once uh, Gettleman retires, you know, which I assume is going to, I don't know, it'll be within the next few years or something. Even even if things go well, Gettleman's going to retire at some point. Is, is Abram just kind of like a shoe-in to take the job, or do you think they'll interview other candidates and, uh, re, you know, just kind of start, not from scratch, but, I mean, interview a bunch of people, or do you think that they'll just interview people just, just to do it, or do you think that they'll really look for somebody else, or is, is Kevin just kind of the guy? Well, they're going to they're gonna interview candidates no matter what. They even interviewed a lot of candidates during this last cycle before Gettleman. But I think to answer your question, it really does depend on how well the Giants do. If the Giant, if Gettleman goes out on his own terms and the Giants aren't winning football games consistently, I think you'll see Kevin Abrams promoted. If they don't, I think that you're going to have a huge outcry from the fan base and from you know even people within the Giants organization who are newer to the Giants organization to look outside the, the organization to try to find the next GM. They really haven't done that. Gettleman was not an outside choice. I know he came from Carolina, but he was with the Giants before that, and Abrams would be in the same regard. So I think at that point, if it, this doesn't work after all the resources they put in, I mean, they have had top 10 after top, top 11 after top 11 pick. They've had all the money to use in free agency. They only had one free agency during this era where they didn't spend, and that was two seasons ago. 
And after all that, if they still don't win football games consistently, I think it's time to look outside the organization, and I think they, there will be a lot of pressure for them to do so. Yeah, I agree with everything Dan just said. You nailed it, bud. Alrighty. Anything okay, else? Thanks, guys. Nope, that's it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. Right, take care, Arthur. Yep, thank you. Alrighty, let's see who's next. It's Brian Nash. Before you jump on, Brian, I did want to say this. One addendum to what I said before. I said it's hard to win a Super Bowl without consistently great quarterback play. What I meant was it's hard to be a consistent Super Bowl contender. Yes, we've had the Trent Dilfers. Yes, we had the Peyton Manning season where his arm was falling off. That can happen once every 10 to 15 years, but I don't think you should be striving for the outliers I'm going for above outliers. So just an addendum to that. But anyway, what's going on, Brian? How you doing, my friend? Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, man. What's going on? I had major, I had major issues last week getting on this, so I'm glad it finally worked now. But uh, Glad to have wanted, you on, man. Wanted to thank you guys. Between you and Talking Giants, I feel like we are, as Giants fans, in pretty good hands. So just wanted to let you guys know I appreciate it. Really Thank you so much, Brian. That, um, so I guess my question was really about O'Shane Zimenez and Ellerson Smith. I feel like O'Shane's kind of getting written off right now, and him and Ellerson Smith have some similarities coming from small schools and kind of being – I don't want to say raw because O'Shane Zimenez had some good technique, and he was kind of not so raw from a pass rush perspective, but everybody's kind of talking about how he might be on the fringe of getting knocked off the roster – I'm just not ready to give up on him, so I'm just curious how you guys feel about him and compared to Ellison Smith, who's another small college guy who dominated a lesser um, lesser talent. You know, what's the main difference, and why are we so pumped about him, who's a fourth-rounder, where O'Shane was a third-rounder only a couple of years ago? Yeah, I look at uh, O'Shane Jimenez, and I'm not ready to write him off yet either. It just would be unfair because he showed a lot of promising signs in his rookie season, but yet was injured basically all last year, so you didn't get to see that. Now people are kind of forgetting about him. But my issues with him would be his ability to hold up at the point of attack. It's similar issues that I have with an Ellerson Smith. They both have exceptional lateral agility, and I agree, man. O'Shane Zimenez is a little bit more technically refined than a lot of people may give him credit for in terms of the way he uses his hands and the way he attacks the half-man relationship and also shows a little bit of bend to get around. He does a really good job in those facets, but with both of those players, I would say it's holding up at the point of attack. And I think maybe people look at Ellerson Smith and say maybe he can learn you know, a year in an NFL weight room some of that stuff can be overstated but I think the weird thing about Ellerson Smith is he's this is a whole new frame for him he was recruited to play tight end he's new to the position and he put what like 60 pounds onto his frame from his freshman year at UNI till when he left so he's adjusting to his body and I guess a lot of people are hoping that he's going to get a little bit stronger at the point of attack develop that sand in his ass that posterior strength and I think O'Shane Zimenez can possibly do that as well. His frame is a little bit lean, but so is Ellerson Smith. And I don't know if those guys struggle in that department, if they're going to see a lot of run-down, early-down work with Aziz Oshalari and presumably a healthy Lorenzo Carter. But in terms of rushing the passer, I think both of them could be interesting weapons. Yeah, I mean, O'Shane had some rest as a rookie, I feel like, where he kind of dominated some players that, I think the Eagles in particular, I don't know if it was Jason Peters or somebody on their offensive line, where he just kind of took over a little bit for a rookie, especially coming from, uh, you know, a Division three. I think he was. Um, but I just feel like he has ability, and he had a shoulder injury. It's not like we're, we're expecting Carter to come back from an Achilles, and that's obviously some an injury that has a much longer track record of not being so, gr- so great coming back from, whereas shoulder, you would hope, is 
maybe not as dicey of an injury long term. That's what I would hope too, man. I mean, I, I'm not fully expecting Lorenzo Carter to – like I'm hoping. Like I, that's more of a, you know, glass half full type of mentality from me. Mm-hmm. That being said, Brian, that's a tough one to come back from, an Achilles. But what you will say is he's a 25-year-old who's an elite athlete with elite doctors helping him out. But that is far from a certainty. No, yeah, and as far as that goes, I mean, Achilles doesn't really matter. I don't think the age, just the studies show that it's one injury that's been really difficult time, uh, you know, history-wise for athletes in football specifically to overcome. But, you know, it's not impossible because I'm pretty sure uh, Emmanuel Sanders had that injury before he had that really good bounce-back season with San Francisco, and that was much later in his career. So that's one example the other way. And to answer your question, I mean, I would say from two perspectives here, Brian, from the Giants' perspective, the reason why – it might be viewed that way is because Larson Smith was handpicked by this specific coaching staff. He was handpicked by Patrick Graham versus Zane, who obviously wasn't. And that could be something that factors in their minds. You know that coaches pick players for their system. You know there were a lot of picks for James Betcher for his system. There were picks for Pat Shermer. So ultimately, and obviously like even going back to last year, Shane Lemieux was handpicked for this specific blocking system, a power gap heavy system. I mean, if they were still running inside zone almost every play, I doubt Shane Lemieux would have been the pick at any point in last draft class. So that would be from their perspective. From my perspective, it would just be kind of what I see when I watch the two players. For me, I'm just all about the tools, and I do think that O'Shane Zimmons is not as toolsy as Elgin Smith, specifically just pure raw athleticism in space. I feel like lateral, laterally, yes, O'Shane Zimmons is a great athlete. He's an NFL pro, but I feel like uh, Ellerson Smith has just as much lateral agility and athleticism as him, but also has a lot more length. So specifically for this system, if they're going to still use the defensive ends or the edges at times to kind of drop into those short zones, he can really help them with his length. And I think that could be like an immediate, uh, you know, he can immediately help the defense in that regard. So just for me, it's it's kind of just the length. It's the get up off the line of scrimmage. He has really good get up right off the snap. And, Ultimately, I think he has equal, if not more, athleticism than O'Shane. I know O'Shane, like like Nick said, he's definitely more technically refined. He definitely has a lot of upside, like you said, Brian. He had a really he had some really good moments during that rookie season. Um, but ultimately, for me, I, I would just say that it's kind of those three things. And I just had one last thing, and uh, I think I speak for Giants fans. Where just it's been over a decade, I feel like, since we've had a actual good offensive line, and now with Gettleman in his fourth season. To still be going into a year where we're not sure if we're going to have a good offensive line, like either we have the worst luck or we just don't have the right scouts that know how to pick these guys. But I mean, it's got to, it has to come to an end because it's been, even our second Super Bowl, we, we really didn't have a great line per se. Really bad line, yeah. Really bad line. And, you know, we had, um, who was a center who went crazy, but we just, we kind of just didn't have, we haven't had skills since that 07, 08 line, and then they started getting old, but. It's about time these guys step up, and hopefully it's a coaching thing and we have that figured out, but um, I'm just tired of it. And if Gettleman can't figure it out in four years, I, I sometimes feel like I'd be a better GM than some of these guys when it comes to picking talent. <laughs> well, I will say this one thing, and I'll, I'm interested to hear Nick's take on this. I think if we wanted to criticize the state of the Giants' offensive line and the guys who have made it happen, Gettleman, the guy obviously who picks these guys, I think at first it would be more fair for us to look across the board at all 32 teams and see if there are other teams who've experienced this over the last four years because my guess would be that that case is yes. I think 
just ultimately when it comes to the offensive line, there's a lack of offensive line production across the board, across the NFL. It's really hard to make the jump from the college game where you're just not doing the same things. You're not – some of these guys don't have any vertical sets coming. Don't have to – you know, you do many vertical sets in college, and they come over to the NFL, and they look lost on an island. And it's just like a lot of these guys coming into the league – I feel like need a lot of time to develop and they no longer have the same training camp where they used to be able to hit and have two a days and really get to work and to pr- improving. And so a lot of these guys you see thrown, thrown right into the fire. A guy like Eric Flowers, I mean, he's become a decent NFL starter, let's say, at guard. But during his first couple seasons with the Giants, he just looked lost out there and he looked like someone who could really benefit. I mean, he may have never had the mindset to be this guy, but who could have benefited from those old school training camps where they were allowed to hit more, they're allowed to two a days and things of that nature. So ultimately I just feel like if we wanted to criticize him specifically and the Giants and Gentlemen, we'd have to first look across the board because I think a lot of teams are struggling from bad offensive line play. Would yeah. you guys have would you guys have rather Bill Callahan over Jason Garrett, even if he was just our offensive uh, line coach? Oh, without a doubt for me. The answer is without a doubt. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want Jason Carrick under any circumstances, <laughs> to be honest. There was a rumor that he didn't they didn't want to work together or Callahan didn't want to work with yeah. him. That rumor is true, yes. We and also and, and also you gotta think about just the sheer fact that, like Dan alluded to it, there's no two a days, but when you're not able to work with your offensive line and your teammates, that's how mistakes happen. There's not as much flow, there's not as much ability to kind of pick up those stunts and those twists, and that's how these mistakes end up happening. Back in the day, these offensive line units, if they were healthy, they were able to get so many reps in practice and training camp together. They knew each other in and out. Now it's, it's just not like that because of lack of practice time. Well, I appreciate it, guys, and thanks again. You guys do an awesome job, so keep it up. Thanks a Thank lot, Brian. Bro. Thanks for joining us, man. All right, we got one more. It's Todd. What is going on tonight, Todd? Todd, you there, buddy? You eating avocado? No, he's here. He's here. Todd, it sounds like we hear your dog, but we do not hear you. Dog barking across the street <laughs> at me. It's kind of funny. I apologize. Um, hey, uh, yes. Content you guys are pumping out lately, but I am enjoying it. Uh, You're breaking up there, Todd. I, I guess I was curious on both sides of the ball. Besides from Williams and Jones, who are the the players that need to have uh, a great year for the Giants to be successful this year, in your opinion? So besides Leonard Williams and Daniel Jones, who needs who, to have who needs, Yeah, who needs to really just perform this year to to really have a, a chance at a good season? All right, sides? I think I think if I'll look at the defense. I'm going to go with three guys other than Williams, and that's James Bradbury's got to be a good lockdown guy, just like he was last year, just replicate that play. It could be even a little bit less because he was so good, but kind of maintain that level of play, at least in the same category. Blake Martinez in the middle, I think he's an underrated asset to this team. And then Adoree Jackson. If Adoree Jackson can, can just be the Adoree Jackson from 2018, then this Giants team does not have a lot of liabilities and a lot of pieces to really pick on. And the defense can kind of allow the pass rush. The secondary, I should say, should can allow the pass rush to get home just by blanketing these receivers, forcing tight windows, and it's just going to lead to more incompletion. So I would go with Bradbury, Jackson, and Martinez. And for me, I'll go with Xavier McKinney because I think that if he reaches his peak as a second-year player, he could just be that really invaluable piece of the defense, specifically because, in my opinion, he has – way more upside than anyone on this roster when it comes to being able to play single high in single high looks as that single high safety. And I'll also go with Adoree Jackson, who Nick said, because he's right. It's another. I mean, he's right about all the names he mentioned, but Adoree Jackson is so important because if they get 
something different than what they got from the cornerback two spot last year, which was a lot of inconsistency. They get consistency. That could change the whole defense. And the last guy I'm going to go with is Aziz Ojolari because I think Ojolari could make an immediate impact as a perfect system fit in my mind for what Patrick Graham wants to do. And they really didn't have a consistent one-on-one type edge rusher last year at any point with the exception of the first week and a half when Lorenzo Carter was on the field. Even then, he didn't show it as much as you might have seen, as you might see, I should say, from Aziz this year. So I would go Aziz, McKinney, and and, uh, Adoree. And then on offense, too, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to go off the beaten path a little bit. I think it's easy to say Saquon Barkley, Kenny Gallagher. I'm going to say if healthy, Kyle Rudolph. I think that one could be really, really valuable, to be honest, just because we know Jason Garrett loves to run quick passes to the tight end, that Y-stick option we always talk about. And Kyle Rudolph is much more adept to execute that role rather than an Evan Ingram, who that's just not his game. That's not how you utilize him. And then I want to go with, you can pick whichever guard, but I'm going to say Will Hernandez because this is his final year of his contract. And I just wanted to live up to that 34th overall pick back in 2018 because my eyes didn't lie, man. I liked him coming out of college. It just hasn't necessarily materialized quite yet in the NFL outside of a solid rookie season that he had. Yeah, and then for me on offense, I'm going to go with Matt Parrott as for sure my locked-in number one. They're counting on a lot from him in my mind because I'm very skeptical of Nate Solter's ability to convert to right tackle after playing left tackle for so long and for his ability to come back after a year off of football and play quality snaps at the either tackle position, left tackle, especially, but especially right tackle. He showed signs of not being able to bend at the end of his last you know, few games with the Giants, and I don't know if that comes back. So there is a lot riding on Parrott, because if Parrott fails, I think yeah, they can no, I... be absolutely screwed on the offensive line. My next guy I would go with is Shane Lemieux, because like it or not, the Giants are putting a whole lot of uh, – they're putting, hold on, sorry, it looks like I broke up for a second. Like it or not, the Giants are putting a whole lot of eggs in that basket as well because I'm also not as convinced by, you know, Shane Lemieux, I'm sorry, Zach Fulton's ability to step in if need be. So I would go with those two to start. And then if you're looking for a third, I think Nick's right. It will be Kyle Rudolph because ultimately he is exactly what Jason Garrett wants at the tight end position. And in my mind, he can definitely help them this season. All righty. It looks like Todd jumped off after asking that question. Thank you to everybody who joined in on tonight's show. That's all the time we have for tonight. Before you guys leave, please do us a favor. Head over to YouTube if you haven't already. That's YouTube.com. Everybody knows it. Please do us a favor. Type in Big Blue Banter, our podcast name. Hit subscribe on our new YouTube page. Help us grow this YouTube page, and we promise you you won't regret it. It's one click, five seconds of your day. Maybe click on a few videos, hit like on those as well. But please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, as well as leave us a review and rating on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram at NYPigsBanter. You know the rest of the deal. Otherwise, have a great rest of your night, and we will talk to you guys soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their ready-hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready-hour foods. 
My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 